This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. We started talking last week about um, the whole progressive movement. And where are we in America today? And what do things look like? And why do they look the way that they are? And what is the vision? And what is the idea behind it? And where are we going? And what is the church's role? And what is our responsibility? And um, I want to kind of carry on with that this morning. And I want to speak to you about something that I've titled, Beyond Feelings, You'll Discover Value. Beyond Feelings, You'll Discover Value. It's really important for us where we are in American history right now to be able to read the climate and to be able to read and be spiritually discerning as to what's going on right now. Things are not as they used to be. They're in a state of flux and they're in a place where they're looking for reconstitution of where things have been. And the problem with it is too often in history, the church has been caught off guard. And what ended up happening is we became those kind of people who woke up after the fact and asked what happened. It was too late. And so it's very important for us at this time to be at a place where we are vigilant as to what's going on. We are wise, but at the same time, we position ourselves at a place where we realize that you were born for a time like this. I spoke about that last week, and I I want you to, particularly people who are out there who are parents and grandparents, understand this, that the focus of the, the current attack against the nation and the church is the young people. Be aware of that, because you have a responsibility as a parent and a grandparent in this context that'll, to safeguard your kids and raise them up in the way that they should go. That's your responsibility. God has called us to that. And so apart from anything else, first and foremost, understand that responsibility and step into it into a mean, in a meaningful way. We started speaking about the fact that the word progressive, there's a whole world view in the word progressive. When you talk about when you got born again, things changed. When you got born again, there was a world view that came with the idea of being born again. I'm not the person I used to be. I have become somebody new. And as a result of becoming somebody new, what ended up happening is my disposition to life changed. My attitude to life changed. Who I perceived myself to be and the way that I saw myself changed. The way that I engaged with people in society changed. And I found myself on a journey to realize the fulfillment of everything that Jesus has provided for me. There was not just a case of, oh, one day I wasn't religious, but the next day I was. One day I didn't know Jesus, but the next day I did. There was a fundamental life shift that took place. It was a spiritual experience, what the world would call something religious. When we talk about progressivism and we talk about a world mindset, we're talking about something which is religious. This is not just an idea that is kind of kind of floating about and whatever it might be. To people who buy into the ideology, to people who subscribe to everything that progressivism means, people who are, in, are, are part and disciples of it, are people who see themselves, who see the world, who see people from that perspective. So understand it's a very difficult thing and you need a lot of wisdom and spiritual insight to be able to deal with this because you're not dealing with you think this and I think that. You're dealing with something more fundamental, something which goes to the very heart of who people are and what they're all about. And so when you're touching on that, you're touching the the, the most sacred nerve to their life. That's why it's such a big thing. It's not just a thought. It's not just an idea. It's a religion. The challenge with it is this. Jesus always invites us to come into relationship with him. And what he says to us is this. If you'll put me on the throne of your life, what you'll do is I'll introduce you to what it means to experience salvation and what it means to have me as Lord, which is transformational in our life. There is a similar invitation when it comes to the progressive movement. But it's more sinister because the problem with it is what it does is this. It says, you don't need Christ on the throne of your life. You can take that place. What do you want? What is your dream? What do you feel like? What would you like to be? How do you feel that the fullness of your life will come about? 
And so it, it takes Jesus off the throne and it puts man on the throne and it says, you know what? You can be savior and Lord of your life. You're the one who can determine the course of your journey. And it is so exhilarating to people because all of a sudden I'm elevated to the place of God. I can feel I can do what I want to do. The thing about progressivism is this. The way life used to be and what we used to know and what used to constitute the fabric of society in America from the church's perspective is changing. Progressivism says everything that has been, has been. The problem with it is that it hasn't taken us to the world that we really want. Do you really feel as though you're happy, that you're fulfilled, that you're complete in yourself? Because what we're offering you is the opportunity to begin to develop something in and of yourself, something that's initiated, designed, and fulfilled through you. You can design your world. You can live your dream. It's very tempting. And it's very engaging. The thing with it is, it comes with an innate challenge because the problem is, it's not just a case of sitting saying, go and live your life. What you want to introduce into life and what you want to bring about, the challenge with it is we have an, an, a, a structure that is currently in place. And so the, the challenge is that the culture and society and our social norms and our mores and our morals and our values don't comfortably fit with what it is that you want. So what ends up happening is it's not just simply a case of sitting saying where we were was fine and you just go and do your own thing. It is more fundamental than that. What it's saying is I not only have an idea about what you should be, but I'll tell you what, we need to deconstruct the whole world. Every system, every facet, every aspect of culture, every value, every moral uh, uh, piece to who we are, it needs to be deconstructed. Why? Because it doesn't facilitate and it doesn't create a comfortable nest in which you can place your dream. It's not just an ideology for going forward, but it's an ideology for changing the very fabric of society and what society is all about. The world that you know today is not the world that they want tomorrow. And it will have an impact on you because it's already starting to have an impact on you. It's not that progressivism is, value is not value-based. It does come with a value. And the value is this. As you begin to move into the future, there are going to be two kinds of people. There are going to be those people who are on the right side and those people who are on the wrong side of history. The view from a progressive's point of view is that they are enlightened. They have come to this place where we've been through the Christian era, we've experienced all that that has to offer, but now I'm enlightened as to where we are right now. And as an enlightened individual, we're going forward in a new way, in a new direction. The thing is, it sounds really good, but don't for a moment think that it doesn't come with its thorn, without its thorns. The thing about it is this, what they mean is you don't really have the prerogative of choosing how you want to live. The idea is this, there is a right way and a wrong way. And my way is the right way. And if you choose the wrong way, I have the prerogative of being able to exert some influence on you by something called shaming you. If you don't buy what I think, if you don't support my ideology, if you don't subscribe to the whole idea of progressive thinking, the problem with it is you must be a bigot. You must be a person of hate. And so what ends up happening is intimidation comes into play. So all of a sudden, there are so many people who have an opinion, who think about things, and don't even like the way that things are currently looking. But I won't say anything, because what ends up happening is it opens up the door for all the progressives in those environments to be able to voice their disapproval against me, not because I have a separate opinion, but because I don't embrace yours. One thing that sociologists have noticed recent times is the increased the increase of something that they call tribalism. 
Have you noticed how polarized the country has become? Your tribe and my tribe. That's what tribalism is all about. This is our view. These are the things that we've bought into. This constitutes our tribe. And that's your tribe. And so we're changing in that there's a dichotomy that's happened. There's a polarization that's happened within the country. And people find themselves on either side like this. The mechanism that the progressives want to use to move forward and the methods they want to do that is by the removal of God and everything that has to do with God from the system. The reason for that is because God stands for something. You see, the thing is, when God comes into the equation, God comes in and he is value-based. When you talk about values, values are principles of worth. This is, the, this is the definition. That which has worth and is useful for obtaining something. It is a standard or a principle. That's a value. What God says is this. My invitation to you is to live by values. Who I am constitutes the fullness of who you need to be. I am everything. I am life. I am goodness. I am completion. I am wholeness. I am everything that you're looking for. And when you come into a relationship with me, what I'm going to begin to do with you, I'm going to be, begin to introduce you to aspects of who I am. The invitation that's extended to you is an opportunity for you to sit and say, I might not be at that place. It may not be something that I'm living by right at the moment. But I thank you for giving me that because you offer me a roadmap to success. So what I can do is I can begin to move out and sit and say, that's what I want my life to look like. I don't want to be unsuccessful. I don't want to be a victim. I don't want to be a person who's at a place where I don't feel fulfilled and I'm not happy and I'm not joyful and I don't have peace. I don't have any of these things. What you offer me is a roadmap to experience that stuff. And so what I'm doing is I'm living in a space of relationship with him where I'm experiencing his invitations and the opportunity for him to come in and to begin to introduce those values to my life. The progressive movement doesn't live by values. The progressive movement lives by feelings. So what that means is this, because I am on the throne of my life, I put myself at a place at what do I feel like doing? What do I think is right? So we find ourselves at an interesting place because we have to make a choice about how it is that we want to live, like everybody else. There are options available. There are alternatives. We could do either one. The amazing thing about God is he gives us free will. You can choose, but you live with the repercussions of your choices. You live with the consequences of what you've chosen. The whole thing about the progressive movement is that they've taken aspects of Christian vision and what it is that we believe what Jesus offered people, and they've taken that and they've created that as a vision for the progressive movement. What they say is this, the world that we live in is not a good world. The world that we live in is full of badness, it's full of evil, it is, the, the earth itself is going to hell in a handbasket, global warming is happening, you're not fulfilled, you're not happy, you don't feel complete. But I'll tell you what, if you put yourself on the throne of your life, if we create an opportunity for you to decide how you want to live your dream, what you can do is you can let go of all of that stuff and you can move into a utopian environment which you have the opportunity to create for yourself. They give us the opportunity to move into fullness, happiness, Completion, joy, peace, that's the promise. It's the idea of bringing heaven to earth without the king. You're the king. You get to live and decide all of those things. 
The reason that the whole progressive movement is so appealing and tantalizing to people because it offers you the empowerment to define where it is that you want to go and how it is that you want to live. It's not just about the world, but it's also about you as an individual. What it's saying is you can be a different person. What would you like to be? How would you like to express your individuality? Who do you feel you are on the inside? Because when you release that, the wonderful thing about it is you can move into the full expression of whatever you feel and you can do it without the death that comes in the Christian story. So this is the environment in which we find ourselves in. And so what I want to do today a little bit more is I want to begin to examine and explore in a little bit more detail about the two different alternatives. Because Jesus presents us with an option and progressives present us with an option and we need to choose. Is there validity to it? Is there honesty to it? Can it actually deliver what it's promised to do? Or is Christ right? If we open our Bibles and get rid of all my papers here. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. The thing about it is this. If you've lost something, you're aware of the fact that there is a void there. The fact that you don't have something that you know you should have makes you aware of the fact that I'm in search of something. Right? The thing is, the way that God initially created man was to live from relationship with him. And in that space, man was complete and man was whole. But what ended up happening as a result of the choices that Adam and Eve made, God separated himself from man. Well, God, man separated themselves from God and moved away from that. But what ended up happening is the void was left there. The void is intentional. The void is sitting saying to you, something's lost. The reason that it exists within mankind is because there is a side to mankind that's sitting saying, I'm not complete. I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. It's there intentionally because you were built to live out of relationship with God. And when an aspect of who we are is not there, it's designed to drive us to the point of discovery. That's why people are on a journey through life and many people who have never engaged in a meaningful relationship with Christ find themselves in a place where they're dabbling in different things, trying to find the fulfillment of what it is they're looking for. They're trying to find that completion. They're trying to find that sense of wholeness. As human beings, because of the way we, would, we designed, until we get back into relationship with God, that will never be filled. It was God's way of sitting, saying, if you ever separate from me, there is something on the inside of you. It's a homing device that's sitting, saying, until I get home, I'm not going to be happy. The challenge with it is so much of the world feels incomplete and they don't feel fulfilled and they don't feel whole, but they've never come to the point yet where they've discovered Christ. So what ends up happening is I'm aware of my need, but I don't have the answer. I'm aware of the hollow, but I don't have the savior. I'm looking for completion and wholeness. I'm looking for fullness of life, but I've never been introduced to the Lord. It doesn't exist. So people are on a journey. When you're on your journey, you're vulnerable. When you're on your journey, you're vulnerable because I'm aware that I need something. I just don't know what it is. And people try stuff. It's because they have that hollow that people dabble in drugs and alcohol and sex. And people try to get into, you know, if I can just achieve fame, if I can just get money, if I can just go and live my life's dream, if they try everything. Why? Because I still have the void. The homing device is still on. I'm trying to get there, but I haven't got there just yet. Uh, 
Jesus says, he's going to seek and save that which was lost. You can only lose what you used to have. If you never owned it, you never lost it. You used to have it to lose it. You can't lose something that belongs to somebody else. It was never yours. Something was lost. Something was lost. The way that we were created as human beings is that we were created as image bearers. That is how we were created. If you have a look in Genesis, God created us in his image so that we could reflect his likeness. What he was saying was, in my image, I'm always going to introduce you to who I am, the value and the worth of who God is all about, the value and the worth of, of how I live and what I am and what I'm all. And as Adam and Eve made discoveries about God, it was an invitation to transformation. It was an invitation to step into more of who God was so that they could reflect his joy and his peace and his dominion. All of that stuff came from God. We were called as image bearers to reflect his likeness. That's what was lost. And so we have an interesting place because the problem with it is Jesus put such a span in the works. Because when he arrived, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He never gave an alternative. He never said there are options. He said, I am it. I am the way. What he was saying was, everything that you need and everything that you're looking for, all the completion, all the wholeness, all the, all, all the validation, all the joy, all the everything that you're looking for is in me. I'm the roadmap. If you come to me, I'll give you the values. I'll give you the values. I'll give you the things of worth so that you could sit and say, wow, I want that. Wow, I want to be like that. Introduce that to my life so I can step into a new, fuller, and more expansive dimension of who I am. Here's the way. Here's the roadmap. He said, not only am I the way, but I'm the truth. What he's saying is, anything else that comes to you is a lie. He said it, not me. If he said that, what he's saying to us is this, you're going to end up with options. The challenge with it is this, most people don't buy a lie because it's so apparent, but you'll fall for a deception. Be careful in this day and age because it's so subtle. I'm just going to speak about stuff because it is what it is. People do it, and so if you do it, then we should be able to talk about it. It's not a criticism, but it just it's apparent. So we have a speaker of the house who finds herself in an interesting place. Because I'm a big proponent, an advocate. I'm a disciple of abortion. And all of a sudden, the church goes, um, excuse me, you're out of truth. You are out of truth. She doesn't change. She goes and finds somebody else who will indulge it. Can I get close to home? I, I got to say some stuff because I, my, my intention is to protect you. Okay? Listen to me. It's really, really seductive. When you're dealing with emotional things, you're touching stuff in people's lives that are close to the heart, which are alive on the inside of people. And the problem with it is when you touch that and you get it, you'll introduce me to buying into some stuff that I would never buy into otherwise. <sighs> Jesus, help me. Here we go. You might be a woman out there. And you know what? There's a big woman's movement because women are disenfranchised. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm all, about, I'm all about equality and equal rights for everybody. I don't agree with it in the least. 
I, I'm not a big proponent of it. In fact, in every single instance where you ever see it, I would sit and say that's absolutely wrong. But having said that, there's another side to it. The other side is this. If I can hook you into believing that the world is against you, you know what you'll do? You'll end up supporting causes. You'll end up supporting parties. You'll vote in ways that you would never normally vote because when you have a look at the platform that that stands for, you'll suddenly sit and go, whoa, ow, I've got a problem here because that's in such antithesis to what Christ is all about. But it's fighting for my cause. We've been through so much racial stuff over the last few years. It's divisive. And it's horrible. One thing that I love most about living faith is that we're about people. I don't care who you are. I, if you're a black person out there, if you're a Hispanic person, if you're any person of whatever color, listen, I'm not a proponent of racism in the least. And anywhere that it ever raises its head, it should be shot down in a flash. We don't want a world that looks like that. And honestly, people who are like that, I don't know what your issue is, but you really need to deal with it. Okay? But please let me say something else. The other side to that coin is this. I'm not a big proponent of Black Lives Matter. I don't like what they stand for. I don't like the fact that you can go out and you can exploit people by sitting talking about how the world is so against them, but you all of a sudden, once you've raked in a few million, you're going to run off and buy some homes with six million, whatever. But you know what? We don't like the fact that people are looking at how I'm spending the money, so I'll just step back from the organization. Is it right? And it happens not just in that. The, the point what I want to make is this. If you're a person of color, listen to me. I'm a big fan of yours. Tell the person sitting next to you. If, if, you're, a, if you're a person of color, say, don't tell anyone, but I'm actually Gavin's favorite. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is to be a person of color because I've never been that. And so I can only speak from my perspective and, and what I believe the word says. Mind, the reason I'm going down this path is this, because you know what, there is a side to it. I spoke to somebody and they were in my office and you know what they said? They said, you know what, I'm voting for this one party. And I said, well, why are you voting for them? Because they stand for everything that is so against the word of God. And you know what they said? They said, oh, well, that's not all there is to vote for. I vote for black matters. This was a person, of, it was a black person speaking to me. The point that I'm making is this. It's so easy for us in this day and age to be seduced by something which is emotional. It gets to the heart, and it might even be validity to it. It's like, no, nobody wants racial world. Nobody wants people who are hateful. So there's some validity to it. The problem with it is when you position my, yourself as my champion, I might go down that road, but then I'll discover that I'm voting for something that I'm sitting thinking, I wish I hadn't done that. Why? It's got nothing to do with who I am. It has everything to do with if you're a born-again believer, I've got to stand for some values. Don't get seduced by stuff. We have it in all kinds of areas. Inclusivity. Inclusivity is so subtle. You are, uh, why? Let people be who they want to be. They can be who they want to be. God lets them be who they want to be. You should let people be who they want to be. I don't have a problem with that. But when I do have a challenge with this, it's not enough to be who you want to be. Then you turn around and you're wanting to deconstruct my world because it doesn't accommodate you. That's where I have a challenge. Christians get sucked into stuff so quickly because, well, we, we, we're not accommodating. We're not loving. I am loving. But you always balance love with truth. What was I yakking about? Oh, I know what I was telling you. I know where I was going with this. I was going somewhere, I promise you. The point is this. So it brings us to an interesting place because what Jesus says is, I came to seek and save. The word save is to bring to wholeness 
a full restoration. That's what he's saying. He's saying, in other words, Jesus is saying, I recognize that something's lost. I recognize that something's not in place. I recognize that you don't have the fullness of what you're looking for. I'm here for you. That's what he's saying. The problem with it is this. He's presenting himself as a solution, which is value-based. And then we have a progressive movement that's over here and presenting themselves as the solution, which is emotion-based, feeling-based. And so now we have to make a choice about how, what it is we want to use in order to go forward. Because you're going to have to use one or the other. Because you know what Jesus says is, Jesus says, if you want to find your life, you're going to have to lose it. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The problem with it is, on this side, I have the opposite. It's no longer Christ who lives, but it's me who lives in me. So they're separate places. I've got to put myself in a place. Where, where do I want to be? Because you can't do both. You're going to have to make a choice. And so we find ourselves in this place where we're having to make a choice about things. What Jesus says to us is this. The reason that you feel incomplete is because you did something to separate yourself from me. What man did was, man decided that it wasn't a good thing to live from relationship with God. I bought a deception that if I was to live from how I feel and what I thought, I could be like God. And so what ended up happening is, I engaged in an action that was outside of God's will. We don't like to talk about this word anymore in church because it might offend people. But, you know, there is a thing called sin. It's a simple little word. It's only three letters. But it carries so much weight. Man sinned. What he said was, I don't need God. I can blaze my own trail. I can live by what I think and by what I feel. And so it puts us in an interesting place. Because in this space, we have to start to make some decisions about what we, we believe is right. You see, the thing about it is, if we become somebody who is, oh, I'm, I never even gave you my scriptures for these things. Hold on. Um, I'll get back to that. So we're going to make decisions whether we're right or we're or we, we wrong. The thing about it is, when Jesus talks about sin, what he's saying is, I'm introducing you to an idea that there is a thing called right and wrong. It exists. There is a thing called righteous and unrighteous. There is light and dark. There is blessing and cursing. What do you want? Choose. He puts the paradox in place. And he says, I want you to understand that they're realities, but you can choose what you want to do. The progressive movement hates that idea. The reason that they want to get rid of, of everything to do with Christianity is because Christianity stands for light and darkness, righteousness and unrighteousness. They use that horrible S word. And what it means is, obviously some people must be right then, and some people must be wrong. And that could never be. You see, in the progressive world, everybody is right. The people who are wrong are the people who do not embrace everything. they the people who are wrong. The thing with it is this. You see, the creator created, put together the creation. And I spoke last week about not only in our social fabric and our cultural fabric is the logos of God evident. But you know what? Even in nature, everything that constitutes the law of God is evident. Do you know that in nature, you don't have homosexual relationships? You don't. Show me one. They don't exist. You don't have transgender individuals. 
they don't exist. You don't have a reconstitution and redefinition of what family is all about. It doesn't exist in nature. And so the thing about it is, for a progressive to be able to establish a foundation to what it is that they believe, they need something consequential. They don't want to go to the area of spirituality because that's a dangerous place. They don't want to go to nature because it doesn't hold water. So what they did is they've taken something which they can own and manipulate. It's called knowledge. The thing that we esteem most as a society is education. It's about education. You see, if we can own education, if we can own the education facilities, if we can own educators, what ends up happening is we can take something which is knowledge-based. Everybody has knowledge, but you can't necessarily quantify or qualify whether that's right or wrong. So what we can do is we can take something called knowledge and we can move it from where it was into the new progressive era and embracing of new ideas. And so what's happened over time is that all of a sudden, our educational facilities have become the temples of progressivism. From school all the way up to college. It's between that place, it's in that space where we actually gain disciples. And we school people and we educate people on the ideology and we create a whole new classification, a whole new generation of progressive disciples that have bought into the ideology and have brought into the theology that I can be elevated and I can be put on the throne of my life. Be vigilant as parents. It's not just educators and institutions, but woven into the fabric of so much educational material is all of the progressive ideology. Be vigilant. You can't take an impressionable child and say to them, what would you like to be? Because they don't know. Jesus says, raise up a child. What he's saying is, you have a responsibility. The responsibility is, I'm entrusting a new life to you. And when that new life is given to you, it comes with responsibility. And the responsibility is to recognize that that life is a gift from him. And so you are to recognize and identify who that child is and the gift that he's given you. And the responsibility you have is to nurture it and to care for it and to raise it up and to inform it as to who they are and what they're all about. It's to create a space where they are secure in their identity because they've been raised that way. You can't ask a five-year-old, what gender would you like to be? They're still discovering the world. But if you put it in the temple and you spend long enough giving it the options, what ends up happening is it comes out as a disciple. It comes out as a disciple. We spoke about the fact that God is value-based. He's always introducing us to values. So I could sit and I can say, there's something new, there's something different, there's something expansive, there's something that I really want, and I can move into dimension of relationship with him. I can be expansive in who I am. I can grow in terms of who I am. I know where I'm going and I know how to get there because I trust him and I'm following him. The problem with it is progressive movement isn't about values, it's about feelings. So let's have a look. Is there merit to that? Maybe it is right. Just go and live by your dreams. Live by what you feel. Blaze your own trail. You see, if we talk about feelings, one thing we have to understand is this. Feelings are not autonomous entities. Feelings are a fruit of your beliefs. You don't just randomly feel things. The reason we feel what we feel is because there's something deeper established on the inside of us. 
And the fruit, one of the fruits of what is birthed as a result of the beliefs that are inside of me is how I feel about myself, how I feel about people, how I feel about life. I feel those things because it is an expression of what's on the inside of me. If you have a look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 17 and 18, it says, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. What God is saying is this, it's not about your feelings, it's about what constitutes the essence of your life. The challenge, one of the challenges with a feeling-based ideology is this. You're assuming that all of your beliefs are right. Because if your beliefs are wrong, your feelings will be wrong. And if feelings are guiding my life, it may lead me down the garden path. So I can be feeling-driven as long as you're absolutely sure that it's an expression of a truth that's established on the inside of you. If it's not a truth, you're in danger. Truth, uh, feelings, give birth to something that we call desires. I want that. I feel like that. That's what they're designed to do. The thing is we have to be really careful because if our beliefs are wobbly, our feelings will be wobbly. And if our feelings are wobbly, my desires will be way off course. Have a look at James chapter 1, verse 15. When desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, that horrible little word again, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Okay, well, is that really true? Well, I know it is, but I'm just saying. <laughs> well, literally, you've got to be able to prove it. You can't just say, yes, it is because the Bible says it. I understand. I just hear what I'm saying. Because there are a lot of people who don't go with what the Bible says. So in that context and in a secular environment, you've got to be able to present something that says to them, be careful because actually your desires, once conceived, leads to sin. And once sin is conceived, it leads to death. Okay, so now I'm going to prove it to you. Who likes chocolate cake? Rafa, you like all that stuff. I know Rafa. <laughs> Who likes ice cream? Oh. Who likes apple pie? Apple pie. <laughs> Who likes cinnamon? cinnamon? No, not me. I don't like cinnamon, but I don't have a people. The point about it is this. So, we are responsible for our bodies, okay? Now, this is the point. If I'm simply gonna be led by what I feel, honestly, I don't feel like eating Brussels sprouts when I have ice cream available. I don't feel like eating broccoli when I can have chocolate. I don't feel like eating carrots when I can have Cinnabon. My feelings, if I'm left to my feelings, are not going to go the way that I should go. My feelings are going to go the indulgent way. And when it goes the indulgent way, what ends up happening is my fat level goes up, my cholesterol goes up, my blood pressure goes up, and my doctor gets unhappy. <laughs> but I'm living by how I feel. The problem with it is this, you spend your life directing your diet by how you feel and you will die early. It'll cost you your health. Watch. Okay, so let's just get another example because maybe that one doesn't work. What about academics? You want to achieve in school? Great. You know what? When you get home, you really need to do your homework and you need to focus on those projects and you need to make sure that you study in order to do really well at those tests. But I don't feel like doing that when I can go outside and I can play. I don't feel like doing that when I can go and swim. I don't feel like doing that when I can actually play games on my phone. I don't feel like doing that when I can go and be social. I feel like doing some other stuff. But the problem with it is what I feel like doing is not going to lead me to being a great student. If I live my academic life according to how I feel, I will fail and I, it will cost me 
it will die. What about business? How about business? You know what? The people, show me a person who is successful and has achieved and it didn't come at a price. Show me one. It never happened. It never happened. It doesn't come that easily. And that includes whether you're a born-again believer. Somehow we think God just magically is just going to fall out of the sky. What I'm saying is it costs. It's not a bad thing. But the fact of the matter is a lot of those people wake up really early and they have a long day. And it means that they have to travel. And it means that they don't get to spend time with the family that they want. And it means that they don't get to have as much pleasure time as they would like. And it means that they actually have to do some stuff that they really don't want to do. And it comes at a high price and a high sacrifice. The fact of the matter is if you want to be successful in business, you can't live by how you feel. I don't want to wake up early and have to get on the road on 66 and deal with all of that stuff. I don't feel like it. Live your business life by how you feel and let me know in two years' time how well you're doing. It'll die. You will be fired. Try it. Try your marriage. Let's just live by how I feel. I feel like I could throttle you right now. Oh, but I'm so happy. It's like everything's fabulous. You you can't live your marriage by how you feel. The thing about it is, if you take any one of these examples, what you'll find is any time you take your feelings and you allow your feelings to give direction to your academics, to your diet, to your Christian life, to your business life, take any example you would like and you will find at the end of it is death. None of it succeeds. But if you take principle-driven life, all of a sudden, as a principle-driven person, I could sit and say, you know what? I see the chocolate cake. I like the chocolate cake. It looks really good, but you know what? I can't afford to have the chocolate cake right now because I'm living by values because I want to be fit and healthy and well in years to come. Yes, I want to be successful in my, um, in my academics. And so I work really hard and I can't come out and play right now because you know what, I've got a big test. And the fact of the matter is I'm living by the value of the investment that I make right now is going to determine and, and deliver rewards tomorrow. I'm value driven. God calls us to live by values because when we don't live by values, what ends up happening is we crash and burn. There is not one example you can give me, not one in life, where if you were to live your life directed by your feelings, it has a healthy outcome. Not one. But somehow we believe if we were to direct my life by how I feel, if I was to determine my gender by how I feel, if I was to to determine my relationships by how I feel, we think this is all going to work out well. My intention is really not to criticize people. That's not my intention here, so please hear me. But I think it's important for us to interrogate some options that are available. Because people are looking at these, and a lot of people are sitting saying, that may be a great way for me to go and base my life on that. And the problem with it is, you crash and burn. I used the example last week. It's like, you know what, I I have to be honest with my kids. And sometimes you just have to be sitting and say, you know what, that's not a good option, because it's not going to work out well. I'm giving you truth. It's not because I don't love you. It's because I don't want you to crash and burn. So we get to that place where we start to have a look at it and we recognize the fact that feelings-driven is really not a very good idea. A value-based life is much healthier, much more concrete, much more stable. It's an invitation that God gives to us. What else was I going to do? Choices. God gives you a choice. God gives you a choice. You can choose how you want to live your life. But understand, I live with the consequences of my choices. The problem with it is this. The challenge that comes into play with the progressive movement is, although people have the choice to do what they want to do. What they're saying is, you can't just choose what you want. Because the fact of the matter is that what constitutes society as we see it today 
is not a conducive and it's not a healthy environment for progressive ideology. And so the challenge with it is what we have to do is we have to begin to deconstruct all the aspects of what society is all about so that we can make it a fertile environment for progressive thinking. So what ends up happening is things like something that is value-based. We don't want to have values anymore. We don't want to have the Christian church anymore. We don't want to have Christ in things because Christ speaks about the fact that there is righteous and unrighteous. He speaks about this right and this wrong. And the thing is what we want to do is we want to create an environment that's all embracing. So let's get rid of that because we don't really need it. We want to deconstruct the morals of society. Morals are the principles that govern right and wrong behavior. It's the principles that determine goodness and badness of character. Those things that I spoke about it last week have been informed by the logos of God over many, many years. And whether people are spiritual or not, whether they're church going or not, it's formed the very fabric of the foundation and the foundation of our society and our culture. They things that we've had a look at over years and sat and said, this is acceptable behavior that isn't. This is the kind of behavior we want in society. That's not what we want. The problem with it is all of a sudden we find ourselves at a place where we can't just be that way anymore because what used to be our values, what used to be our morals are not embracing of progressive thinking. So we have to get rid of all of that stuff. Our traditions. Traditional marriage, traditional definitions of male and female, traditional views on relationships has to be deconstructed. Why? Because it doesn't embrace where we're going. It's not a safe place for nesting the progressive view on things. The point I'm trying to make is this. When you embrace the idea of progressivism, it's not just a case of taking us forward and it's a case of sitting saying, fine, they want to believe that and I want to believe that. If that was the case, it would be okay. The problem with it is what's happening right at the moment is a deconstruction of everything that you believed in. The very fabric of, that used to define society is going by the wayside and it's creating a lot of havoc. So we have genderless bathrooms. Not really comforting when you have a young girl, a daughter. So we have a transgender swimmer. When it came to participating with other men, he was 500 and something rather. Kind of wasn't on the radar. But he decided that all of a sudden he's transgender now, so he wants to participate in women's swimming. And so now he's winning everything because he's a man in women's sport. The challenge with it is this, we sit and say, okay, well, obviously, you know, we're trying to recognize and appreciate who he is and what he's all about. And I get that. The challenge with it is this, we need to work with the individual to come to a place where they recognize who they are. Because with respect, I think the challenge is yours. The problem is right at the moment is the progressive movement says it's not their issue, it's society's issue. So everybody in all of society has to change to accommodate it. But suddenly we find it doesn't really work. Because all of a sudden, all those girls from four years of age, which have spent every single day swimming, who have worked their entire life really hard to realize the dream of being a swimmer, being able to go to the Olympics. This is my swimming dream. All of a sudden, it gets snatched away from them like that. Why? Because I'm racing against a man. You can't sit and say, well, I'm just a woman. You don't. You have the physique and you have the physical strength of a man. That's why you're winning everything. So now we in turmoil all of a sudden because what we find is that society is being turned upside down and people are trying to make sense of this and how do we make this happen? Because we fought really hard for equality when it comes to girls and women and we find ourselves at that place. Now all of a sudden we find we're sabotaging it because all of a sudden we have another minority group wanting to come into that space and redefine it. And now we don't know if it's men or women or trans or what and who knows? The point I'm trying to make is it creates confusion in society and we don't have answers for it. 
Do you know what the definition of anarchy is? A state of disorder due to the absence or lack of recognized authority or governing power. I put in their values. It is the absolute freedom of the individual that is regarded as the political ideal. The problem with the progressive movement is that there's so much, the, the focus is on deconstruction, not on the building of something new. I can't tell you what the new is because it hasn't been presented. All that the progressive movement is about is live by your feelings and let's deconstruct the world so that it can accommodate whatever it is you should want to be. I don't know how you build a cohesive society when you have a whole bunch of individuals living by subjective principles. What unifies us? Well, we're all people. That's pretty elementary. I'm going to talk next week about the church and how the church can position themselves as a solution to things. Anybody who ever gets caught up in progressivism, always love them. Understand this. People are on a journey. People are on a journey. They've got the hollow. They've got the homing device. I'm just trying to find the fulfillment. I'm trying to fill that space somewhere. And somebody's given me an option and said to me, you know what? Embrace this idea. The challenge with it is, it's not going to work. Because once desire becomes embedded and seated, becomes sin. And sin gives birth to death. I try to show that through some of the examples. It's an inherently dangerous place to be when you want to base your life on living by your feelings. God wants you to feel. He put those in there for a reason, but they were never established as your guiding light. And the thing about it is, if anything, they're quite dangerous. So the thing is, what you want to do is you want to get to a place where we don't have feelings that come from a place which is not healthy and whole because it introduces us to desires that are not of him. Our desires all too often are the mouthpiece of the flesh. I can't just do whatever I want to do. It doesn't lead to good stuff. The wonderful thing about Jesus is, no matter where you are and no matter where you find yourself, he always extends an invitation to sit and say, you know what, I came to seek and save. I'll meet you wherever you are. It becomes so important in the place that we are right at the moment as a church in America to be able to make sure that we're informed, that we have wisdom, but at the same time we have the Holy Spirit's direction as to how we move forward with things. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The, the challenge with what's happening right at the moment is it is a spiritual Goliath which is presenting itself against America. It is an American thing. It's, it's, it's popping up in other places around the world, but it's interesting because I speak to my friends around the place and it's like, what the heck's going on in that place? Because they read the stories. The problem with it is we're in the pot. And because we're in the pot, we don't realize just how odd it is to some people. But when you get out of the pot and you look in, you suddenly go, what, what the heck? Where did that come from? Can we all stand, please? Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that you're with us and you will never leave us and you never forsake us. I thank you, Jesus, that you're still on the throne. And I want to thank you that you came to seek and to save. I want to thank you that you extend to us the opportunity and the invitation to experience life and the fullness of life that only you can provide. I pray, Father, for every person 
that is searching, looking to fill the void. People who are searching for that homing device to realize that place of acceptance and fullness and wholeness and completion and peace and joy. Give us opportunities, I pray, to be able to speak and put truth into people's lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that the words that we speak will be words that are spirit and truth. Words that are not judgmental, that are not critical, but words that are designed to incite a passion for life, for what only you can offer. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for raising up champions. Champions who can go out there and face the world and present your truth in a way that is attractive and appealing to the world. Not people who are Bible bashers, not critical people, but people who present the truth of who you are and the love of who you are in a way that excites people and makes them realize It's the answer to what they've been looking for. We thank you for a great week. I thank you for a prosperous week. I thank you for a week that is full of opportunities. I thank you for lives that are touched and transformed. In Jesus' name, amen.